Hi, welcome to the Two Medics podcast. My name's Beth and John. I'm an ex-neurosurgery trainee, current GP trainee. And hi, I'm Dusha Gunnar-Wardner. I'm a cardiology registrar subspecializing in coronary intervention. It feels weird doing I'm... it this way around for a bit. I like <laughs> Just... it. I like yeah, it. Good. Just mix it up, yeah. How are you? Yeah, not bad. I've finally finished all my hospital jobs. So today's Thursday. I started my GP rotation, which is where I'm going to stay for the foreseeable until I hopefully CCT. Go on. I saw you, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. But I saw your tweet where it looked like you got some really nice leaving gifts. It's quite sweet. It was really sweet. But what was funny, so I think I mentioned that my consultant was also leaving on the same day, which oh. kind of wasn't planned and it was all a bit weird. And they threw a little surprise party for him and I got came along. And so it was like a lot of the nurses and the other consultants and the admin staff. And it was a classic, like an NHS buffet table. Everyone prepared oh. the quiche, yeah. oh, nice. the sausage rolls. Yeah, yeah, it was nice. And then so he came in and like they all cheered and gave him his presence and oh. made him make a speech. And then everybody was like tucking in. And then he was just like, oh, and here's my GP trainee, Beth, and she's also leaving <laughs> oh, tomorrow. No. And then I got oh. given like a really nice bunch of flowers. And I, I was like, are they really for me? I was like, yeah, I was just, it just didn't, I've never had that before. It felt so strange. Oh, that's so nice. But it was, yeah. And they were saying like, oh, we'll certainly won't forget you in a hurry. And I was like, oh, You're, but it was, they were laughing when they said it. And I was just like, I'm definitely oh, left my mark. Yeah, I think so. Oh, but good gosh. trouble, obviously. Good trouble. Obviously. But yeah, it was so lovely. And I, it's, I think when you work in like little community teams, even though I was only there for three months, but. It was a good job. It was like bat- baptism of fire, like I'd never done psych before. But um, I just feel like CPNs were like cool people or the ones I worked with really were and really supportive. And my consultant was like super chilled, but like also always available as well. So it was that like, go spread your wings, child, and I'll be here if you need me. And it was quite nice to feel like a grown up sometimes that people like yeah. trusted you and um and it was old age community psych and a lot of dementia assessments. A lot of it was like a hoot because these people had been incredibly lonely since the pandemic. And I get allocated an hour to visit them at home. And I feel oh, like nice. it was so nice that you just it's a lot of chatting and stuff. And I would feel fulfilled and they would seem to have enjoyed the conversation on the whole, generally, not everyone. <laughs> but I've never done anything like that before. And the only home visits I had done were in GP. And that's obviously a very different kettle of fish. But. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I just love old people. That sounds like that would be a really useful experience for GP as well, surely? Yeah, I think so. Because I've done a Jerry's job, I feel like recognising delirium and cognitive impairment, a lot of us experience that. But in terms of the other symptoms that go alongside it, I wouldn't have appreciated all the other kind of psychological symptoms that can accompany dementia. Like, for me, that was a huge learning curve. And just, I think, appreciating that in GP and not freaking out that someone's hallucinating, if that makes sense. Sure. You don't need to get them into the see the crisis team. Or, you know, we can manage this. Yeah, yeah. And um, just understanding things from that side was, it was good. And I just get a flavor for things like the more people with a certain condition, isn't it? In any specialty, you just, you can suss those people out. But starting GP feels like I'm getting thrown back in the deep end because it's been, I think, nearly two years since I worked in GP last. And yeah, sure. we all know how GP is seen at the moment in this country. Not easy, is it? No. And you're going to be there for, because this is your kind of, so you'll be there for two years because you're less than full time, I saw, right? Yes. Will so it be in the same placement? For that yeah, time? so it's my training practice. So your training practice is like where you do your reg year, your last year. But I'm just lucky, I think, that I've just ended up going there for ST2 and they've just kept, it's the same practice. Mm-hmm. So it's good okay. in a way. 
that's like a novelty for us as trainees, isn't it? Sometimes you think one place, it's quite a deprived area. But I was explaining today, like I'm from the South Wales Valleys, like I, I get yeah. it. Cause I've think, seen things. Yeah, like populations are just so different within cities. But yeah. I think it's it's going to be a challenge. And I think trying to get your head back into that GP mindset is what I always find difficult. But it seems quite supportive. So yeah. I, I guess it's what I signed up for as well, isn't it? With GP training. So yeah have to do that now yeah a new thing is still a new thing isn't it even if you do enjoy it at the same time i guess you want to also do well and you're and yeah. in the back of your mind you're like this is my chosen career so there's that own added pressure perhaps from yourself like from yeah. yourself isn't you it? want yeah you, absolutely yeah. you want people to think that well. you're like a good gonna be a good gp and stuff yeah but but yeah have you do you feel like you've settled into your your new what's been a kind oh. of a couple of months has it yeah so i um i joined like mid-september so nearly so oh, about yeah. six weeks in, yeah. it's going quite well, actually. But people on the whole have been really nice. Good. There has been a bit of haughtiness. Tea. Haughty, yes, because <laughs> it's all on top of us. But, but I have to say, everyone's been really nice. And yeah, it's actually going quite well, I'm pleased to say. I, going into the last year of training, having people say, oh, you need to keep your head down. You need to keep your head down. Don't say anything controversial. You just I... need to get to CCT. You oh, just need to get to yeah. CCT. And I feel like, ooh, like the time yeah. group. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like people imply just, oh, just don't be yourself. Just yeah, keep quiet. Yeah. Keep your head down. Be anyone else. Just don't be yourself. Yeah, that's definitely me. You'll be fine. Yeah. You know, <laughs> oh, me too, man. Me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Before we go on to the meat of the podcast, our sponsors at scrubs underscore UK, so at S-C-R-B-S underscore UK. They make scrubs for doctors, nurses, vets, carers, allied health professionals, dentists, anyone in a clinical setting. They make scrubs that are comfortable, practical, and great looking. They've actually got a few new colors and some, they've changed their fit. So those designs are out on the 12th of November. Our promo code still works. So if you do two medics, T-W-O-M-E-D-I-C-S-10, 10% off. Do check them out, especially on the 12th of November. Very excited to see what these new cuts are like. I've, I'm going for some light blue. Did you pick some scrubs to get? I've not yet. I think I'm going to go for navy. And uh-huh. I quite, because I, I'm quite tall, I mm. quite like the jogger fit. Because I, I don't, I have, oh, yeah. with, I have this thing with scrubs. Like I, they're never long enough for me. I'm five foot ten, so I'm not like giant, but. Um, oh, but you have ankle swingers. Yeah. And it's, it depends, they're not, when they're not designed like that, it's a bit like. Yeah. yeah so I saw that they, yeah, they've got the jogger style. I quite like that. You can get away with shorter pants in that. Type of yeah. situation, but yeah, it was a good couple of colours, oh. wasn't it? Green, light blue, navy. Yeah, for my, yeah. I'm still waiting for my rainbow tie-dye pair that I've requested, but <laughs> yeah. one day maybe. Still to come. <laughs> to but me, that yeah. does beg the important question with your socks then. So if you've got joggers on, right? Oh, yeah. Do, are, do you, are your socks up or are they down ankle style? Down, yeah, like trainer socks. Do you know? Yeah, oh, like yeah. a nice, yeah. That's, that's like a proper millennial thing, right? They're yeah, like, yeah. I saw on TikTok. There was I'm like, not cool um, enough to wear like those yeah, cool socks, like up. tube socks. Yeah. yeah. I see people wearing like those and the Birkenstock clogs, and I'm like, oh my God, like that what? looks so comfortable. And I would love to be able to pull that off, but I would just look socks like. Socks and Birkenstocks. Yeah. The, the, cool. the clogs, not the sandals, like the clogs, um, like uh, the closed toe. Yeah. I just see oh, a lot yeah. of millennial people sporting that look, and I'm like, actually, that looks quite comfortable. Oh, but wow. you somehow, like, they make it look very 90s, and I just think. I would just look like I'm just stuck in a different era if I was to try that. So I'll stick sure with my pull it off. casual sure trainer it off. socks. Yeah. Guys, make sure you check out Scrub, so Scrubs underscore UK for those to treat yourself. Treat yourself. Very nice. Getting into the meat and bones of it all. Speaking of which, there was dating advice to doctors. 
Um, this is amazing. This is amazing. Yes. So I saw it in a tweet that you'd linked from Nehemiah Edwards at N underscore J underscore Edwards. And they said, in case you missed it, doctors now have guidance on dating. They put a picture of an aubergine in there. I don't know what I mean. I'd like to highlight point number four. And there's a picture of a peach. Very confusing. <laughs> this fruit. Anyway, avoid sexting. Oh, let's go through this. Just think carefully about the amount of detail you make available online. That's a pretty generic advice. Yeah. Don't post always... anything. Um, don't post anything on your profile that you wouldn't want posted on social media platforms. Don't abuse your status as a doctor <laughs> or dentist. What dentist thing so, mean? Is that like whilst your mouth is open? Like what? So as the podcast's resident chronically single person, I am the spokesperson on these matters. As right. people know, the various dating experiences I've the shared. Yeah. There's this huge cohort on the dating apps, so they say, of course I know, <laughs> of like men in scrubs and oh, just yeah. insinuating about I can imagine, I have seen some doctors on there as well, made that very much. Every photo they post is in some sort of uniform or stethoscope right. or whatever. And I wondered if that's what they meant. You're using the doctor status to get yeah. men and women. But yeah, yeah. I just, as I've done before, I love this. Because it's, it's avoid sexting if possible. If you do sext, only do so with people with you people know and you trust. Know. I Isn't just that... love I love how it implies avoid sexting if possible. Impossible. Like sometimes this, you just can't yeah, help it. There's going to be some smooth. emergency situation where <laughs> your life will depend on sending a sext. And if you can avoid doing that, but if your life depends on it, go for it. To just make sure it. you know yeah, the person. Just, yeah. uh, if patient safety is a concern, then step just, away. Oh. Avoid having um, your face in explicit, in explicit images. That is good advice. That is good advice. That's number five, but that should be number one. I feel like you should start with that because that is very good advice. I just, I'm and obviously then... like, I'm, but I'm perceiving all these the wrong way. To me, that reads as, because you might be very ugly, like they don't want to see your face. <laughs> but obviously that's not what they mean. But you know what? You'd be better off if you don't put your face yeah. on those pictures. Yeah. That's Nobody not, that's needs like to dad. see that. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of my parents telling me that. <laughs> Established rules about sending and deleting content before starting sexting. I think that kind of... If I do, I send, like this? Yeah, imagine someone sending like a consent form and then like laying <laughs> out. We can only sex between these hours. We can only yeah, listen yeah. to the content. They're like proper killing the mood, aren't they, with these? Yeah, totally. Um, and you have to like tick the box to say that you understand that you can't guarantee that the person performing yeah. the act will be yeah, the Yeah, exactly. The and then there's going to be like the proposed benefits of the procedure, the, <laughs> yeah, exactly, the potential the risk. risk. Maybe you need and to then, get it dual signed as well by another yeah, healthcare professional. True. Yeah, that makes sense someone to witness it delete content from trash bins and online clouds that's good avoid the use of dating apps whilst at work is that i don't know what why do you reckon the what do you reckon the backstory to that one is i wonder yeah um, i don't so funnily enough i this was years ago i was an f2 and i wasn't using the app at work but i was i remember going to the coffee shop and grabbing a coffee and someone approached me and said a guy and said oh i saw you on tinder but you never matched with me. And I was like, hello. Well, they just came up and said this. Well, so I was with my wow. colleagues in the coffee shop and I was <gasps> like, and it, it, it was so awkward because I was, I didn't know what to say because I was like, no, I, I didn't. Yes. You, that's correct. Yes. I didn't match with you. Like you are, you are right. But I wondered if it comes from that. Maybe it makes people awkward. Maybe it distracts them from the job in hand. Well, who knows? But uh, I see. Yeah. I don't know. And then they say, don't mix social and professional relationships with patients. Gross. Yeah. And don't breach patient confidentiality. Oh, that's true. 
I did once hear of a story of a nurse who took a picture of a doctor on the ward and she put it on the internet saying, finally, a hot doctor. And he was seeing a patient's, patient's face visible in this photo. And then she got into all kinds of trouble for that. So I guess, but she was so moved by how beautiful this guy looks. Yeah, she, she did look resist. a lot like Jim yeah. Bale. Yeah, she the couldn't th- help herself. The thing is, though, I don't mean to be derogatory, but though that list has got such boomer energy. Isn't the it? way it's delete all content from trash bins. It's, instead of someone just saying, just delete stuff from your phone. It's very generic, isn't it? It's probably written by people who are probably in long-term relationships and do not use dating apps and are probably incredibly of a different time than what is appropriate for such guidance anyway. The big strong. So what advice would you give then? What's your advice? Why didn't they ask me? Like, I I keep saying I am the expert on these maps. Why I'm still single. Uh, What's your advice then? What would you put? My advice would be go, be free. Don't eat any sort of baked goods that may come your way from a date. Avoid oh, flapjacks at all cost. But no, Did I just, you... I don't know. I, f- I feel like, why are we having guidance for this? Just enjoy your life. Like you're a doctor at work. And yeah, of course, that stuff about breaching confidentiality and things like that and don't mix work and re- patient relationships. That's just, like you said, advice for everyone from good medical practice, isn't it? But in terms of sexting, if that's what you want to do, Sorry, H-E-E or NHS England, whichever you are now. Mind your own bloody business. True. I guess if I had to, I mean, my kind of like millennial advice, which would be terrible, I'm really out of date, I guess, and so happy to be corrected. But one bit of advice I'd say is that if someone suggests that your first meetup would be for coffee or for a a drink, I think that's unserious. Do you? That That makes a lot of sense. You don't mean coming to, you wouldn't go with first meetup in someone's house, though. No, so you go for a meal. that's dangerous. Yeah, that's dangerous. Oh, you go I for a like, meal. I feel like you should, the first date. If this year, if you're looking for a relationship, I don't think if you're going for a coffee or for a drink, that person is after a long-term relationship. So Fun I will it. counteract that because oh, yeah? at one point, I was going through the dating pool quite quickly. Like, if that was like <laughs> a, there was like a lot of men okay. in the Northwest that I was just... Just on the, it's just on the apps. And it's so bizarre because you literally, you're just chatting and whether you feel like you get a connection, yeah. you do tend to meet that person. I generally yeah. couldn't have afforded a meal every time. <laughs> like uh, sometimes yeah, going for a coffee or a drink. And also it was quite, it was quite nice just going for a coffee or a drink because if I didn't, if I wasn't feeling it, yeah. then I would quite happily just be like, look, this, is, this isn't for me and whatever. Because it was, a, it was like one or two times, particularly with the, the flapjack guy where we'd had a meal and he presented the flapjack to me whilst we were having said meal. And I felt like I was invested in my meal, like I wanted to uh, eat it. I got just, but then I'm like, oh, I have to eat this and then I have to go. Um, but then, yeah. But then otherwise, so if it's coffee. coffee, I could just be like, literally order the tiniest of espressos, drink it in one oh, mouthful. And, but no, and it's, it was a huge cost thing as well. Yeah. But then if you're meeting someone for coffee, though, I guess this is my literal mind, but if you're literally going to have coffee, but then you're going to have a snog afterwards and you're going to have coffee breath. You'll both have coffee breath. I just, yeah, I don't know. If you... I know what you mean. I once snogged someone after a sausage roll, so I don't know what that <laughs> That was in my teenage years. Wait, wait, who had the sausage roll? You or him? We both did. 
the same one. Was it like just a like lady in the tramp? No, 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 no. No, we had the Greg special. We used to get, we used to get like a bag of four sausage rolls and shit. Then that was our lunch in high school. It was so bad. And then we just snogged and I was like, oh my God, sausage roll snog. Everyone would be glad to know that I, I'm much more refined much more done, now. Much more refined. You've got the vegan one yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, totally, man, the vegan one. But, yeah, I'm obviously not the oracle on dating because even though I've had a lot of them, there's obviously something's not quite right. Maybe I should adhere to this guidance. Who knows? Maybe I should delete stuff from the trash bin. Yeah, this yeah, is stop it. Stop putting yeah. your face in those explicit Stop photoshopping images. my face onto all these gorgeous bodies. Yeah. <laughs> Just, no, but if there's anything that we can take from your stories is that it's a fucking minefield out there. I <laughs> like... think that's definitely fair to say. It's certainly given me some good anecdotes over the years. Yeah. I think there were lots of funny spin-offs from that. But interestingly, so Zander, he commented saying, so the dating app guidance seems to have prompted a few people to take to jokes about sex work slash adult entertainment related endeavors. I'm mindful that a not insignificant number of people in the profession will have engaged in sex work in their lifetime. It might be an opportunity to consider why the idea of a medic engaging in sex work provokes laughter. And of course, to consider pre precisely why this is often considered a fitness to practice concern. Which is interesting, isn't it? Because I think totally. it does... You, you get some people who talk about professionalism and then really about how weaponized that term is and whether yeah. what it actually even really means. And... Um, because that's the thing, sex, love, dating, partners, marriage, whatever you want to call it, whether it's casual, whether you're polyamorous, monarch, whatever, that's just the human condition. And I feel like no matter what your job is, you're entitled to have those preferences and desires. It's just life. But there being guidance about it, it is insinuating that you can't have that same life as other people like we need to tell you how to conduct yourself and yeah, what true. Xander says is right like it, it really shows kind of some people's state of mind sometimes where they make derogatory comments about sex work and stuff and I think that's such a shame because how is that affecting you no one's forcing you to do that and also I guess those those thoughts and kind of prejudices have an effect on how we view people and we know there's all that kind of sniggering about foreign bodies or kind of... Yeah, because we mentioned that, that last week, didn't we? With right? the, um, yeah, totally. With the kind of foreign body. And we have to be mindful to each other and just appreciate that sex is an important part of life and people enjoy totally. it in different ways. Yeah. And it just seems it's so funny, isn't it, that they felt the need to be so prescriptive about that, about sexual behavior yeah. and how they even felt that they had a right Really, I know, like the it's, so, in, it, right? it's so intrusive and I would love to know what prompted that yeah. document to be created. But someone made a really good reply and said that what the kind of the comments that Xander was referring to are just rooted in misogyny and someone knew a guy in med school who was a topless waiter and that mm. was just like a funny anecdote. But if someone had worked as a topless maid or a female stripper, then that would be a whole, like you say, weaponizing the professionalism, bringing the profession into disrepute. That's the angle that people would take. And it, it, it you do definitely get that vibe. Yeah. Mm. But yeah. Speaking of Wait. the kind of boomer energy that was used for that advice, yeah. you linked a tweet to from Rosie, where mind the equality pay gap. Do you want to yeah, talk about this, that? yeah. So this was by our friend Rosie Barua. And she posted a screenshot of, I assume she's, 
our correspondent from the Times, isn't she, Rosie? She is, uh, yeah. I assume this is a letter from the Times because that's the only way we, neither of us have got a subscription. No. This letter was entitled Equality at Work and said, Alice Thompson argues for equal pay. When I trained and worked, men and women did the same hours. My first job was 120 hours a week. Okay. And we were all paid the same. Nothing has changed. My colleagues, male and female, still work the same hours and we all still get paid the same. Equality indeed. Then no surprise to anyone. I am a hospital consultant in the NHS, Dr. Nigel Bat. And well, classic Nigel thing to say. Isn't it? it is. It's like a proper naughty Nigel letter, this. Mm. But how just in those couple of lines, someone has just shown spectacularly that they just do not have any comprehension of the gender pay gap. That's quite worrying because someone who's got to a consultant position in the NHS yeah. should be able to grasp that basic understanding of what people mean with yeah. gender inequality in pay. Interestingly, this guy is a consultant radiologist, so you can tell that he uh, uh, obviously spends not that much time. Too much time in the people. dark. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's where he should stay. That's where his opinions come from, the dark. It shows that when he's saying, oh, we did equal stuff, he doesn't know the half of it. And exactly. there are other sacrifices that because of standard or traditionalized gender roles that allow men to often be able to do more and have more freedom to pursue their careers than women often end up having to perform yeah. more stereotypically household things and stuff. And it's not the same. And you no. just have to look at the kind of proportion of people in these in the occupation to realize that there isn't equality as he, indeed, as he describes. The thing um, is, though, as well, like that aside, like that's obviously a big issue on its own. But the, I just don't know how or why he felt that he needed to get in there in brackets. Oh, my first job was 120 hours a week. Like, what, it's like, that's like, I feel like that was like another extra dig that just really didn't need yeah. to happen. I just, I just I know, know it's quite enlightening. It is very enlightening, as you say, mm. because that's pure projection. Isn't yeah, it, it is, isn't it? He's taken that to be like an attack on himself and... That kind oh, of yeah. is just showing his privilege, isn't it? He's just okay. saying that it's that whole go black in my day and then these are the people that call us like woke and snowflakes, isn't it? Do you know yeah, what I mean? True. Because they're like, oh, you could never handle. What do you mean you do 40 hours a week? I used to yeah. do 120. And it's go back to bed, Grandpa. Nobody asked yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Literally. Had two reports, four CT scans in a week. Yeah. Those days. Yeah. I know oh, when gosh. the slices were like an inch thick or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So there's another tweet from Male Privilege, which was about how upset they'd be if they were providing a lecture or a talk and they were to see or notice someone in the audience knitting. Get over yourself, and, isn't it? Yeah. Do you knit? Can no, I don't have the dexterity for it. Although saying that, I used to be a neurosurgeon, which is quite worrying. Yeah. But oh. no, I don't. I would lo I'd love to learn how to knit or crochet. My Oh my gosh, my mum is amazing with textiles she makes her own really? clothes she's incredible but i did not inherit that from her unfortunately but i quite i definitely need something to occupy my mind and i i often think mm. about learning to knit because i could just make some banging blankets do you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> i'm always oh, cold it would be a yeah, good use but this was in relation to so we've we mentioned dr ria lang on the podcast before she's a surgeon in australia and there were some photos that surfaced from a conference that she'd shared and one of them was like quite a lovely picture of her in the audience, kind of chatting to the people behind her while she was like knitting something at the same time. And it was just, it was just photos from the audience. It was literally not commenting on that. And then this person decides that they're going to take that a step further and say, oh, if I saw someone knitting in my lecture, then I would think that's rude. But 
I'm sorry, but that's sometimes people need to occupy themselves to concentrate. It's why is that different to doodling or and also what's it oh, to yeah. you? Do you know what I mean? You're mm. still gonna have to give the lecture or whether you like it or not. But yeah. Why are you singling that person out? Yeah. The the implication is that they're not interested. And I guess if you think that they're not interested, maybe your maybe the kind of subject matter of your talk isn't as great as you thought it was. Yeah, but, there you go. Um, there you go. Right. So maybe that should maybe that should be a, a reflection. As you say, yeah, it's isn't it nice to? I, I I definitely think there is a kind of space um, for people who are neurodiverse and totally. wanting to use their hands and occupy occupy themselves. I definitely fidget a lot. I flick a pen. Or oh, something. same. I, I cannot keep still. Yeah. And so I feel like. I could quite easily be that person who's like shuffling mm. around, certainly finding it very difficult to keep still. And I just, the thing that kind of struck me about that comment was I just felt, even just from reading that, how like fragile that person yeah. must feel to like yeah. single out that person, be like, oh, that's really annoying. And to yeah, have like that the, that's the big deal. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And I just, I appreciated like that all the comments were just like, you've really got it wrong here for people knitting is autopilot helps them concentrate and it's and I think it's what we were mentioning before sometimes like about like how you look and how I've had comments previously that oh you're clearly not interested because of my face and it's just that this is my face and it's either because I'm either not making eye contact or I'm scowling or I look maybe disinterested how can you can't tell me so how what I'm feeling or what I'm listening to so how can you then make that assumption that person who's just quietly knitting that single person yeah. in the audience quietly knitting not disturbing anyone mm. like how are you entitled to say what what they're doing and what they're taking in and what they're being disrespectful for i think also um how do you feel about people being on their phones i personally don't have a problem with it because i am one of those people who yeah, is on too. their phone but we had a really good discussion today. So I had had regional GP teaching this afternoon and it was all about breastfeeding and stuff. And obviously a large part of the audience, myself included, have not got children and didn't have any experience of this. And the two kind of GP educators that were, were there, so our supervisors in the session, were on their phones the entire time, but made this point, which I didn't think even need to be made. But they just said, oh, just want you guys to know that we're not texting we're literally just adding this to our portfolio, like their appraisal portfolio as we go. And they were just taking it in what the speaker was saying and reflecting on it at the time. And we had mm. this discussion about how that's quite handy because obviously there's so many requirements for all our training portfolios. And in GP, you're expected to do like a couple of reflections a week. And we were talking about, actually, that's quite handy that you're on your phone yeah. and you're Watch logging stuff. Done. And you're obviously mm. like taking it in because you're... Mm writing it down and you're thinking about it and reflecting on it. For me personally, I've got no intention whether someone looks at their phone or someone looks at me. I quite enjoy public speaking and teaching and things, but I don't tend to make eye contact. I'll look towards people, but I don't think I'll ever notice what people are doing because I'm just yeah. focused on what I'm saying. But I know some people just can't hack it. And I've had comments in the past from especially my psych job before my supervisor got to know me and he was like, why are you on your phone? And I was like, oh no, I'm just... I'm literally like taking minutes of our meeting. This is what we're in. But it's still that thing, isn't it? Of people think, oh, they must just be texting or playing Candy Crush yeah. or whatever, which is sometimes the case. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it, I don't know. Do you like, do you have any specific feelings about it or? Oh, no, no. I think even if you're right, like um, I definitely do use it for Twitter, but also like I'll take mm. screenshots of slides and I, do, um, I like a, to yeah. make notes. 
even if I know that I'll never look at those notes ever again, like uh, I just find that just like writing them down and think formulating what I'm writing helps me remember it and take it in. But I think even if people are like, choosing to spend that time on Candy Crush or whatever, they're not, they're not school kids anymore. So this is it. Do, so then... you, that's it. And it's whether that's on you, isn't it? Whether you do it, whether you listen or not, if you miss something, then that's then totally on you. But yeah, funnily enough, I was looking at my photos app today and it was just this weird combination of photos of Noodle um, right. interspersed with like random PowerPoint slides and documents <laughs> yeah. that I'd taken pictures of because I thought, oh, that's really useful. Then there was like a picture of the one time that I managed to do a perfect poached egg. Then there was some more oh, PowerPoint wow. slides and I thought if someone found my what phone. Spread. Yeah, hmm. they'd say this person's unhinged. Like, what's yeah. she doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What kind of person? No, I think... Yeah, my phone is literally full of photos of things that I don't really know what why I took them. Mm. I've been like, but I think at the time I'll be like, classic, I need to remember this. I need yeah. to remember this. And yeah. like, okay. um, you never know when you might need. That's my exactly. excuse anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And the truth is, yes, you'll never know. <laughs> Another kind of interesting tweet that it was one by at Emma Peridol. So E M A P E R. That's such a good name, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Emma Peridol. I don't get it, actually. So Peridol yeah, like has in like because Hala of Peridol. Yeah, and right. it's just, just used her name. Like, I don't know, I quite like that. You could be, I can be Betha Peridol. You can be... I see. The root Ru- uh, doesn't work. Yeah. No. Sorry, mate. Never <laughs> mind. Um, ruined it. Ruined oh, it. Oh, never mind. That's why, I don't, that's why I can't relate. So she, <laughs> yeah. she says, confidence is largely inversely proportional to your knowledge base, which is why the pre-med medical student felt it was okay to interrupt me during a patient encounter Call me mama and explain to me the biochemistry of sickle cell disease. Come on, dude. It's 8 a.m. Hmm. Yeah. And this person is a doctor, obviously, and she's also got five degrees as per her profile. Wow. So it's quite interesting, like, that the pre-med student decided to school said specialist on their own specialty. Yeah. I just, the confidence though, the absolute confidence. I know, I do envy that a little bit. I'm not yeah. saying I would want to be this person, but imagine that you just had that, just for a fleeting second in your life, that you just it's had amazing, that level yeah. of confidence where you, you must feel invincible. Yeah, totally. Oh my God. Speaking of people who can must be feel invincible, Steve Barclay with his suggestions for improving the NHS. Mate. Right? They have announced £100 million funding to accelerate AI in healthcare and life sciences. Help, there's a pointy finger saying, helping us harness the latest tech to improve patient care and support NHS staff. Another finger, AI tools are already having results, helping halve the time for stroke victims to get treated in some cases. Really? What's that? What? Okay. How's it helping? I don't know. He's probably trying to convince himself of something. Is it, the thing is, there's the kind of predictable responses to this, right? They are suggesting AI when we don't even have up-to-date windows or computers that Gosh, kind yeah. of load within a reasonable time basically frame. we don't have desktops that were purchased within the last 20 years isn't it is what exactly. people are saying but you're quite happy to spend 100 million on ai, on AI. i know and that is predictable because we all lament about these same things we all i feel like every day i see a tweet from someone who's it's half nine and they're still trying to log on to their computer and yeah you have that wheel of death kind of spinning but I don't know. I just feel like it was robot penguins and now it's AI. And how about just some of that money goes into like expanding training places? I just, I know that's such a crazy, weird, far out there kind of suggestion. Of course, 
robot penguins and AI is the natural progression. Yeah, makes complete sense. This is a nice story that you linked. Things I was taught throughout my medical training that I've stopped believing. Patients yeah. lie to get what they want. Patients are unreliable. 10 out of 10 pain is rare. Patients who don't get better are non-compliant. Patients who don't get better have psychiatric problems. The end justifies the means when it comes to medical treatment. Medical consent is a piece of paper. And they go, I'm not perfect. I'm learning. But I'm learning. And the best teacher isn't my professor's voices in my head or the textbooks, but the person who sits right in front of me in the exam room. So those are all preconceptions they had. Can you yeah, think of I, to I totally agree with that. I, I especially like the ones about, um, you know, so I, I like the said patients who don't get better have psychiatric problems because what always grates me is when you're in handover or you're in whatever on the ward and a pa one of your inpatients has got a documented diagnosis of anxiety or depression and how people's attitude and t tone yeah, changes as if everything's down to that. And um, it really grinds my gears because having experienced depression, anxiety myself, it's just, yeah. it's like, how dare you? And that is the trope that so many people push yeah. and it be, things be suddenly become functional and I'm sure there's lots yeah. of anecdotal cases where things have been blamed on mental health and then it's been something physical health for want of a better term that, and but yeah I quite like that because like you say you get all this stuff about we've spoken about language in the past haven't we when people say oh this patient's non-compliant with their meds and then suddenly that becomes their fault but actually what is the reason yeah, totally and I think, I mean, there's that phrase that I have to admit, like, I remember thinking it was quite funny because obviously medical sounding, which is supratentorial. Have you heard people? Oh, yeah. Where people essentially imply that it's a psychological. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As yeah. in it's above the tentorium, so it's mental. Yeah, in yeah, the brain. Yeah, exactly. I've heard yeah. people say that. And in retrospect, thinking back, that's just, it's not great, is it? Because like, how are we forming that conclusion? And I definitely also, something that I feel like less good about just thinking in a more kind of, because those things, I guess, sound kind of obvious, right? That there's no such thing as 10 out of 10 pain. That's obviously nonsense. But there's certain things I remember that I remember learning as a junior doctor. There was that phrase, the first rule of medicine is never to trust anyone. Mm. And I remember like thinking that and, and using it in a way to think or reevaluate every diagnosis. And it does reduce the likelihood of that kind of go well, it's not really go fever but it's that kind of yes thing where you just follow on from the diagnosis that the person previous person oh yeah you just find said. that things have been copied and pasted sometimes don't right. you and no one kind of prompts Challenges that because yeah. like in my psych job I was asked to do because like we, we covered like this intermediate that wasn't like inpatient or community and someone said to me oh you need to do a TTO for this for this person they're getting discharged. So I thought, oh, I've never met them. I need to have a look on the notes. And I was scrolling through the notes and they had some sort of ward round entry from that same morning mm. that said something like the old patient was reassured that discharge wasn't being planned, that they were going to remain an inpatient for a while longer. And I was like, but you've asked me to do the TTO. And yeah. it just transpired that sentence had just been copied and pasted like I, numerous times. Really? And you're just, <laughs> and it's hard because I think generally that patient wasn't thinking he was going home and it's quite a big deal when you're getting discharged from site that you're it's a, it's a huge step and and I just thought it's just so easy that you sometimes it's where people joke isn't it when surgeons say oh plan continue we could continue yeah, what because yeah, it's yeah. just the same thing each day but yeah, yeah totally and I think I took I, I guess in my natural in my own way took that a bit to the next level and felt like I had to like question and query everything 
I have but to I do think the same. One, I think one of the problems that I had maybe as, or maybe I still have it now, I don't know. I've something that I felt I've had to let go as I get more senior is allowing my junior colleagues to make decisions and their, their assessment, trusting their assessment and not mm. feeling that I need to second guess everything that they say that comes out of their mouth. And I think I, I do ask slightly fewer questions, but I hope that it means that I have kind of colleagues who feel like empowered to make decisions and stuff and feel more confident rather than feeling like they're being scrutinized the entire time. I think you can go and can take it the other way when, you know, that trust nobody type line yeah. of thinking, which I definitely feel was a problem. And it's not sustainable as well, is it? Like mm. not only from a well-being point of view, because it is nice to be in a team rather than, than that. Yeah potentially independent practitioner who's just starting from the beginning every time they see someone new rather than trusting what's gone before them but I think yeah it's just it's hard isn't it because we like to think that we're doing a good job and we can get taught there's all those teach the teacher courses or train the trainer courses about teaching styles but actually no one prepares you or I didn't think so when I was suddenly like a reg and kind of supervising SHOs doing basic neurosurgical procedures and being hands-off. And mm. that I found that really hard to trust yeah. someone to operate with me just being the assistant rather than telling them what to do. And things, like you say, you can... Yeah. You do get a vibe sometimes, I think, when people tell you something, but then you think, oh, are they just sounding convinced? convinced yeah. and is that true do you, and sometimes when you're on call you work with people that you've not worked with yeah. because of the rotor and that's doubly hard then because mm. you don't have anything to base it on do you it's not you haven't built up that trust but what stood out for me in this was I, I really liked how she said that she stopped believing the fact that 10 out of 10 pain is rare because you know people ask you to score your pain and they say oh they said it was an 8 out of 10 but they're sitting there on their phone implying that oh it couldn't possibly be And I hate that because pain is so subjective. You've got no right to say that. But also, like, I'm someone who loves distraction. So if I could somehow distract myself, that could be why the reason why they're on their phone. And I just, it's that kind of superiority thing is they've got a mental health diagnosis, so it can't be right. It's, I don't know. I I just, I quite like that tweet. It it is, a lot of those assumptions are made in medicine. Like, we cannot deny it. And There's so much hubris, isn't there? Yeah, I, th- I think definitely you're right. My attitude towards pain has definitely changed. I definitely feel a, b- a lot more liberal with pain relief because I'm like, what totally. purpose does it serve having yeah. someone in pain anyway? What does it cost me to treat the discomfort that they're reporting? This is it. And so to just diminish it and pretend that it's, or just suggest that it, they're making it up, what does it serve? Because if, mm. say, if they are lying or whatever, essentially what you're is you're fostering an environment whereby they don't feel believed they won't feel believed and what kind of what are you going to gain from that in your relationship with the patient this is it and I think there's there's safe ways to do things and there's unsafe ways and I remember in my first GP rotation kind of seeing a lot of elderly people who were in pain for various reasons and they would go through the whole kind of trying codeine trying tramadol couldn't give them Mm. NSAIDs and then I went to Jerry's and everybody was just on Oromorph and it was just so, it was just so much better. And I just yeah. knew that like when I was prescribing Oromorph in GP, it was like a rarity, but this person in hospital, like most people, especially from the, the acute kind of frailty, acute Jerry's kind of thing that I was working on at the time, 
we would send most people home with Oromorph because from like a yeah. point of view in terms of like Cody's and Tramadol, they would just tolerate so badly. And then I just thought, you know, Oromorph's obviously quite shorter acting. We're giving it quite liberally. And I just, that really changed my practice because even though people have this thing of, oh my gosh, it's morphine, it's too strong. Like older people were tolerating it at smaller doses that much better than, than anything else. Yeah. And I finally felt that in those people, like they were being listened to in terms of their pain. Because obviously, like other things like coding and stuff weren't cutting it and causing horrible side effects. Mm. But I do know full well that I'm going to encounter many people in the rest of my career who would refuse to prescribe that Oromorph because it's suddenly got this connotation of, oh, they don't, they're obviously, they're obviously not in that much pain. And it's who are you to say that? Yeah, totally. In the similar vein, you linked a thread about was how's the doctor? Do you want to? Yeah, so, good. so I think like in Converse, so I, I saw obviously that tweet we were just talking about and I, a lot of it resonated to me. And then I just randomly saw this other tweet, again, by an American doctor that was essentially a thread about how to doctor. And I thought, oh, this is going to be quite good. But it annoyed me in a way because some of the stuff that it was saying, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like that. And, yeah, it's that. It made me think of that whole, oh, doctoring, being medicines of vocation kind of thing. Uh, yeah, so. Some of the tips they were saying was like, okay, they were saying, okay, be an expert and also know what you don't know. And I was like, okay, that's that's sensible because we have to know our limitations. And when we don't, that's when the danger kind of creeps in. But then the it went on, danger marks. The next one was then you should be, be available. available. Mm. And I was like, so they said, oh, it's a hard balance. I try to be available when patients are sick. It may mess things up for your own life. Oh, yeah, wow. And then I just thought, you've got to have boundaries. So I was like, okay, this is going a bit into the bit of a, I don't know, not so great vibe. Then number three is our favourite, be, be kind. kind. So, and I think that just made me think, okay, like we should all just be a decent human anyway. And the other one was like, go an extra mile. And then the other one was really go an extra mile. And uh, I think yeah, those yeah. are quite unhelpful tropes because... Yeah. We already give so much of us. And I just think it's really, we, a lot of us do struggle with kind of, this is my job. This is, and for me personally, like being a doctor isn't my entire life. Like it is my job. I care about it immensely, but also I care about my sanity as well. And I will very much do what I can to kind of, I'm much better at it now, go home when I'm done, not be at everyone's beck and call because that's not sustainable. So when these kind of threads come out saying, or be kind, be available. I just, I'm not sure like how beneficial that is for people's well-being. Yeah. Oh, I, I did like this one. It said one of the tips was send handwritten notes and Christmas gifts. And I thought they were going to say to patients. To patients start, and yeah. I thought, no, gosh, no. But they were talking about like nurses and admins and, and doctors who you appreciate. Letter to colleagues who achieve a special landmark and flowers for funerals, things like that. Which does mean a lot to me. So I will always like when I when we we've spoken on previous episodes about cards and stuff, haven't we? And like on my last day, like I'll always wherever I am, I'll always bring in like food and donuts, and I like to write little individual cards for people because mm. we don't need it. And I think it's quite handy sometimes to put in your portfolio. But I just generally do want to show someone that I I just feel incredible gratitude for their training or whatever. So I'll, I'll give him that one. I'll give him the notes and the gifts there's an, one. Uh, there's a nice one, number 12. So you have to get... Go oh, there's a lot, 12. yeah. Yeah. Work-life balance is critical. My wife taught me this. It makes you happier. 
It makes you a better doctor. No one will look out for you more than yourself. It's not a cliche. It's super real. So find a way to do it. I budget time off in my calendar. So making time for yourself. But then, he's, well, no, but then that's contradicting that. his point of be available <laughs> all the time. <laughs> I think this guy is basically trying to make Hallmark cards, isn't he? He's just trying yeah, to... Yeah, that's it. Like, even, like, the tweet format. It reminds me of a prominent med Twitter person with the yeah. kind of formatted yeah. in a particular way to, yeah. to, to sound kind of... This, it's a for engagement type of thing, isn't it? That's, yeah. Here we are engaging with it. Yeah, but not maybe not in the intended <laughs> way, but anyway... Yeah, okay, all right. Let's get on to touching raw meat. Why did you link this one then? I've linked a couple of surgical tweets. Weird. Oh, oh. They came in oh, the ca- So essentially, this was existing up to literally an hour ago <laughs> when I was t- tittering to myself again about this tweet. But essentially, somebody was saying that they realize they have such an aversion to touching raw meat, like raw chicken, but then this person was also a surgeon and had no mm. issue handling tissues then but they referred to the human tissues as oh, like i can't I, yeah i can't touch raw meat but i can touch raw human and i think they then said that's the that's day i realized that you can't refer to someone as like raw <laughs> <laughs> and i just yeah, feel like sounds... that's something that i would say that between the and the mouth yeah, yeah, yeah. the words coming but yeah i wonder why they deleted their account i don't know maybe it's maybe the raw human brigade got them yeah yeah God, interesting. So then there was a tweet from, oh, terminology you hate in medicine. What this terminology interesting. your specialty do you really dislike? Here's mine. End-stage COPD, just awful. I actually end-stage heart failure, but I think... So somebody something. made a heart failure comment, which I think is actually really good. So heart failure, worst diagnosis name ever. And it's mm. true because people, as soon as someone hears the word failure. So hard, I, yeah. Yeah, even as a medical student, I remember thinking this. You think, oh my gosh, need you need a transplant, they're dying or whatever. Yeah. But actually, that's not what it means. No. But then, yeah. and that's It's hard because, it's because the, if that's not what it means, we need something better to describe it as because it sounds horrendous. Even mm. just saying like, the problem is that the other descriptions are a bit further removed from it. But that doesn't stop us from calling things like COPD or pulmonary fibrosis, which are... Yeah hard to penetrate so it's not that so we could yeah. call it like systolic dysfunction or whatever um i know it's shouting in jargon but at least it's truer to what it is rather than than that know, failure failure. word isn't it and yeah which I doesn't really I... give you too much of an idea of what it is either no really. not at all because i think if i was i think if i was a lay person for me that would sound like game over your heart yeah. is essential to keeping you alive yeah, yeah, it's true. failed the end that's yeah. that's literally how i would connect the dots but a couple of other examples were things like made palliative, which I completely see. And someone said, actually, no, you've not made them palliative. You've just recognized that someone's dying, which is obviously, if you'd made someone palliative, I would be re- referring you to the GMC, I'm afraid. If that, <laughs> yeah, specifically made someone palliative. But Somebody said yeah. defaulter. What does defaulter mean? Not turn up? Oh, I've never heard that before, actually. Default. They said poor historian, defaulter, oh, yeah. and t- TB case. Yeah. Guarded prognosis. I, That's interesting. Sorry, go on. I do know the poor historian one riles yeah, me the f up because it's like people can struggle to communicate, and sometimes I think when I'm a patient, I do struggle to be a good historian because also it's a, it's a horrible, unbalanced kind of power dynamic type of situation. Sometimes when you're a patient, but it's um yeah, I don't know. It's it's. I feel like it's partly on us. Like if that person's not giving us the information that we want, maybe it's a, the questions that we're asking need to be 
somewhat tailored. I'm not saying to everyone, but it's, I just hit that, that phrase, poor historian, sorry, always puts the blame on the patient. Oh, if they, that's their fault. And what something I learned from old age community site, people who were getting referred for cognitive assessments, who had obviously quite had dementia, quite progressed already, unfortunately, I would ask a question and they just wouldn't be able to, the comprehension of that would have gone. Um, and I just think, oh, how easy would it have been for me just to go back to the office and say, wasn't able to do a proper assessment because the patient can, wasn't engaging or was a poor historian. But I was like, no, that's on me. I need to adjust now how I ask those questions. It's just, it's, I think it's that thing of being dismissive in it, isn't it? It's like what we were saying about mental health diagnoses. Oh, they've got depression. So all of a sudden everything's down to that. They've got anxiety. Oh, it's all anxiety rather than exploring any other avenues. So I'm interested though, in that kind of line of thinking in terms of how you might tailor the questions. Because I have had scenarios where, you know, when you're asking a patient about stuff and one of the things that I find difficult is when the, a lot of the kind of story is really uh, administrative. So I, this happened, so I had chest pain at this time and then I spoke to my GP and then my uh, GP sent me here. And when I went to this place, I spoke to this person and this person told me this, and then I had to have an appointment at this time. And how do you say, for example, and so I, I usually find that distracting because I'm a bit mm. like, okay, forgetting what the details were. If you've got someone who, you know, what kind of tactics can you use? Do you just end up being more direct or what are your tips for dealing with someone who... Yeah, so I don't know. So I I like to, obviously we all know from listening to these podcasts, if anyone does, I like to like waffle a little bit and rumble. And that is just, who would have thunk it? But that is my style. And I do realise sometimes that you, it's like you have to test the waters almost, isn't it? Like you ask a question and if that person is, you're getting a bit of a blank stare or whether there's like inattention, distraction, or they answer something which is like completely unrelated. I don't think I'll, I, 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 I don't seem to like draw attention to the fact that they've not answered the question that I've asked. I'll just, I'll say, oh no, thank you for telling me that. But, and then I'll just try and like very much simplify it. So instead of asking for a few things in the same sentence. So for example, if I'm thinking of doing like a memory assessment, I'd ask things like, oh, is there anything that you enjoy doing? Do you still watch the television and can follow along with TV programs? Do you like to get in the newspaper still, reading books at night? Now that's four questions in one go. Mm. And I would realise that people with quite significant cognitive impairment who unfortunately was just getting their first assessment now would just sometimes not be able to grasp that. So I'd be like, are you happy? What do you like doing? What, what do you enjoy? And then they might say something. I'm like, oh, do you watch TV? What's your favorite program? Can you follow along with Coronation Street? And so some of the questions become quite closed questions, yeah. but it's tailoring that that kind of question because I do realize that I have asked so many things in one sentence and there is obviously an element of anxiety when you see a healthcare professional and yeah, sure. you have to gauge it, I think, and then you just try and tailor it somehow to that kind of person so- in front of you. So are you saying that basically asking the same, just repeating yourself again and again, just asking the same question? Sometimes, again, and sometimes I just have to change the words, that I, especially if it's something crucial. I know I can't think of a particular example, but if there's something that I want to know, so for, say, for example, it's about chest pain and I'm trying to figure out whether this is something like musculoskeletal that I don't need to worry about. Is this cardiac? And if it's cardiac, do I need to do something about it now? Is this like a PE? And I'm trying to go through those things and I'm not quite getting the answers that I want. I do 
pretend I think now I think about it keep asking that same question for certain points of the history that are crucial if you know but just in different ways and I think for those things that that maybe I think that would guide my management plan one way or another Mm. I'll just keep and sometimes patients are nervous or for for whatever reason will get distracted and start talking And and I do think it is a skill that's quite hard to say no I appreciate that's important to you but I asked about this. Let's just get back to this for now. And we can, if we've got time, we can discuss this later because patients will just sometimes ramble. I've done this myself as a patient because you're just trying to fill that gap, aren't you? Mm. And trying to be a good historian or whatever we want to call it. But there are times where I will just keep asking the same thing in slightly different ways if I think it's like crucial for what I need to know. And the beauty of GP as well is that we often have time. So if I'm meeting a patient for the first time and I'm struggling and I'm not quite understanding what their concern is or maybe they're not understanding what I'm getting at, we have that beauty of, I can call you in a, in a week. Do you know what I mean? And you're just establishing that continuity and rapport and that can help as well, which is different mm. in secondary and tertiary care. I don't think you often have that luxury. Yeah, fair enough. Moving on, I noticed there's a neurosurgery topic in here. I know. And so Trisha Prendergast, she said, several days into my neurosurgery rotation, I'd like to announce a non-comprehensive list of things that are cancelled. Thank you. And she said, biking without a helmet, biking, motorcycles, or bike-related, ladders, trees, ice, stairs, blood thinners, mm. scooters, going outside. God. Are there any that she's that. missed? She missed trampolines. Yeah. Yeah, so trampolines, but so that was so we had a space. So you remember when trampoline parks became a thing in the UK? Yeah. We had a space in our unit of spinal fractures coming in from one oh, particular gosh. trampoline park oh, really? in the northwest that oh. had this particular massive drop. And we had this whole spate of quite significant fractures where people had jumped. In the end, the fact that we, not me personally, but a couple of my colleagues wrote this up because it was odd in quick succession. Everybody was saying, oh, yeah, I did the death drop jump at so-and-so okay. trampoline park. Um, and it got closed down in the end because of the actions of really? our kind of, yeah, of our trust. Because we were just like, they've all been on the same one. Like, this is not good. But yeah, for me, the biggest things for me were, if you're going to drink alcohol, do it on the ground floor. Do not go upstairs. Stairs are dangerous, whether you're sober or not sober. That was like one of the biggest things for me. And yeah, the the whole biking without a helmet, people still maintain that it should be a choice. I'm like, that's fine. But some of the stuff we've seen, trust me, you want to wear a helmet. But yeah, staying staying downstairs whilst drunk was one of the biggest Smart. things that, yeah, like that. It was just because the amount of catastrophic injuries that we used to get in of people that were found at the bottom of the stairs the next day because they'd fallen down after having a couple of drinks just completely innocuously and innocently but yeah yeah look so a bit of advice for people out there because when you've had a bit to drink you might wake up to pee in the middle of the night you might feel quite thirsty and a way of getting around that hangover is is before you go out to get smashed is to take a bottle of water and leave it by your bedside maybe some amaprazole yeah Yeah, exactly just have it ready just, yeah. And then you're ready. Jobs are good. And then you don't have to do it when you're like slightly wasted. Because you, and... you never think it's going to happen to you. And that's what always used to get me about these patients was that mm. they, their life was literally changed within an instant. And all of a sudden they're getting referred to the spinal injuries unit because yeah. they had just one night where, for whatever reason, had a few drinks and then tumbled down the stairs. And you just think that, yeah. 
This, this account reminds me, there was this medical student. There was like a whole space, I don't know, I think this is probably a few years ago now, probably just around the time of COVID or pre-COVID, of this medical student that had giant metal rimmed circular glasses. I think she'd gone to law school beforehand and now she's a medical student and her whole kind of thing was about turning up super early to be like, she's going to be a neurosurgeon. She's going to be a neurosurgeon. And, and then, like... yeah, so she's like very much a kind of like social media profile, like all these like, her kind of like latte going to you. work. And then I think I remember like some tweets where she'd started as a junior doctor. And this person reminded me of her. But, but I haven't, and I was like, I haven't seen her. And I'm like, this oh. person must be like neat elbow deep yeah. in like residency. Yeah, that's what it must like, be. Yeah. Like, <laughs> she's gone low. Yeah. yeah totally. Yeah, like, but yeah, I just, okay. yeah. I think you just see like, what, if you work in a trauma center, you just, there's so many things that you just think, oh, I wish people didn't do that. And, the amount of like catastrophic head injuries that we'd see after a single punch from a bit of a disagreement that happened outside a pub or a nightclub or and you just think oh my gosh do we just yeah. all stay in one room at home and never move and never live and yeah exactly wear a helmet at home and pillows <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. bubble wrap literally yeah exactly. <laughs> there was a tweet from Antoinette her handle is Mrs Eleonora O'Hara just witnessed another junior being bullied into consenting a patient for a procedure they won't be doing and have never done. Had to step in. Explained legal issues. Still trying to push junior. Why are we? Why do we put up with this? I say we. I don't. It was funny. So I'll, I'll interrupt. So the handle Eleanor O'Hara. I guess you don't know where that's God. from. So no, it's from a. So I'm going to make a TV recommendation because we didn't do it last week. There's a really good show with Edie Falco from which from the West Wing. Edie Falco, or was it Sopranos? I think it was West Wing. Amazing American actress. Oh, she was Sopranos, yes. Yeah, Soprano, sorry. She did a show called Nurse Jackie, which is this really good. Yeah. Hmm. Eleanor O'Hara is the one of the attending doctors. She's an English actress in the show. I always yeah, that's I was yeah, that's where that comes from, I think. But no, sorry, I digress. That's the ADHD. But yeah, no, but you're right, it's that whole consenting thing. Because how many times has this happened? I probably feel like we all have a story where They've gone, oh, just consent for that procedure and you feel well that you've you've never done that. It's just, there are loads of people saying, let me guess, is it IR or is it endoscopy? And I just don't see, what's the utility in forcing junior doctors to do this before you get there? Like, how much time do you save? Exactly this. And there's that whole thing, isn't it, of consent shouldn't be, like, given on the day. You should consent for that procedure beforehand. And for many things, that's absolutely fine. Um, and it should be in a more controlled environment where you've got a bit of time. But sometimes some of the things like endoscopy or IR, those are more urgent. And I think in those situations, it is perfectly reasonable for the operator to do it that that day. And But we do see that it falls to like the ward doctors and it's just, I wouldn't have the first clue. The thing is, and I I think the thing is with consent is that we get people who ask questions about complications of it or how it might be managed Mm. or what to expect. And you just, you might not, if you don't do it, you might not know those nuances. And I just, I think what you're trying to do, the consent process is an opportunity to instill some confidence in the patient that they're going to, you know, be looked after and have some confidence in it. And if you've got someone who's not going to do it and they don't really, and might not have a complete understanding of all the minutiae of the procedure, they might not feel confident in doing it. How reassuring is that going to be like? I just yeah, it's, yeah it's, it doesn't work for both parties, does it? 
I said, I suggested that if they felt this way, then gastro should just take over those patients. So then it's their genius that are consenting them. So then they can supervise them. But nobody replied. Nobody took me up on that. Oh, anyway. I would give you a, oh, go on, I'll give you a, there you go. <laughs> oh, thanks. Cheers, mate. Cheers. <laughs> so you linked a tweet that said, how do you know if you're good as a surgeon? So mid-career surgeon, how do you know if you're technically any good? How do you get better? Share your strategies. What did you link there? I think it's a good question because how do you know if you're a good surgeon? Like you can be, there are certain times where you're with your boss and you're the assistant and you're observing and learning. And then as you get to know them, they'll let you do more and then they assist you. And in those kind of situations, you do, I guess you are getting like more direct feedback, but there becomes a point like as a registrar where overnight, for example, there are certain surgical operations that you would just do yourself. And then mm. what, how do you measure that? So I guess, so for me, one of the biggest kind of formative things was draining a chronic subdurals. Somebody would come in with quite a dense hemiplegia. I would drain it overnight. And then suddenly when they wake up, they had full movement again. And I'm just, I don't know if that makes me a good surgeon. It means I drained the pressure, but mm. I think it was more that technically, like, how do you know? Because who, what do you benchmark against? Who mm. knows? And I got into this like whole ex existential, oh, how do I do if I'm a good doctor? But I think it, it was just a good question to ask. And people, someone made the point of, and it reminded me of what you said on a previous episode about someone's relative had been, like you did the angio on someone's relative or something, one of the consultants. Because one, one of the answers to this question was when people that you work with refer their family members to you, this is obviously in the States, that's how you know that you're a good surgeon because you've obviously yeah. got like their trust, trust and stuff. So for me, then I was thinking of that discussion again that we had when we look after sometimes our colleagues, relatives in hospital and we go above and beyond and then they trust us with that. Does that mean you're a good kind of surgeon? I don't know, but yeah, it's an interesting question because like, how do you, for example, know that you're a good interventionalist? Yeah, I, I do remember seeing someone say, I think someone saying online, oh, if I needed to have, look on Twitter, like someone's, if I needed to have an angioplasty or a stent, I'd want Darusha to do it. And I remember thinking to myself when I saw that, but why? Like, yeah. all you're basing that on is my Twitter-like personality, but you don't know and like how podcast. much. Yeah, exactly, right? So you don't know how much of that's fake. And because there's so many people who are like fake, right? And you don't know how well that translates to me procedurally. And yeah. I think I, I actually asked them, I was like, oh, okay, I'm not sure if I deserve Let me rule myself praise. out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, and I was like, how do you know? And they were like, no, but it's not just based on that. Like part of it is on the personality, the ability of the personality of the person, because you want to like them, you want to feel comfortable around them. And that mm. for me is probably the most important part of it. Because how much difference, how many like, what is, how many standard deviations do we all exist within? And how mm. much do we like deviate from one another? Like how much room yeah. is there to be like super excellent? And what's the difference? What is the real difference between someone who's super excellent someone who's average and someone who's below average what is yeah, how wide is that exactly and i think for and the other thing that kind of got me when you think of like procedural specialties so whether it's surgery ir cardiology or whatever like how do you obviously the question's asking how do you know that you're good i was thinking a lot about time so you could be very slow but meticulous so your mm. outcomes would be good but you would then see or operate on less persons per day because you are so slow for want of a better word so does that make you a better surgeon because you see people but your outcomes are good see less people but your outcomes are good sorry uh, yeah 
or if you're quicker and you're getting maybe less good outcomes, but on average, because you see and operate on more people. And it's just, I think, how do you even know that? And I am from the mentality that to some extent it takes as long as it takes. Um, and I would never want, especially doing like a procedure, I, I would, I don't think I'd be able to live with myself if I felt rushed and then something happened. Yeah. That say, doesn't account for the pressure, isn't it, from everyone else in the room? I remember you saying you can only have two of the three things, right? Being fast or being good or being cheap. You yeah. Can't have like all three. You can't have it. Yeah. And it's, right. and you get, you can't ignore the, the like outside pressures. For example, in surgery, you've got the anaesthetist then saying, I, I can't stay late to finish this mm. list. Or are you going to, how long are you taking to close and, and things like that? And, the time that has a significant impact not on that particular patient's outcome but the other patients maybe that are on the list and then does that anaesthetist have to rush what they're doing for the next person because I've taken so long to close and it's that kind of thing and what is the like the happy middle who knows but maybe let's not think about this some more because I'm like oh my god it was okay and now I'm like oh no (laughs) can I be trusted yeah but I think isn't that an important I think isn't it Maybe it sounds a bit wishy-washy or soppy, but a kind of ability to be introspective and reflective kind of a positive. Yeah. I just wonder, because you get some people who are just so bullish and whatever, and I just feel like they don't, they lack insight. I think they're the ones that kind of just push on. I I love that saying that kind of says that like you don't know what you don't know. And I think because that's like, it, it implies that, you just go rogue essentially because what you don't know your limits and I feel like I think I've again said in the past like I'm not the most confident person in the world but I'm confident in the clinical abilities that I do have so for for certain things Mm. I will feel confident in but I will very much know that in many of the things in within medicine especially in GP that I would not feel confident in at all but I feel like at least that I know that I'm not because there are some people that just don't have that insight, isn't it? Yeah. And I guess that's where mistakes and danger can happen. Yeah. Danger. So we're... <laughs> Sorry, um, just thinking yeah. of Electric Six. Yeah, yeah fair enough. I recognise it. We are coming up to time. Can you... Are there any other topics that you are quite keen to get in there? To shuffle yeah, on in? Yeah, so like how... I always feel like we always start with the medical stuff and then we just hmm. go to either air fryer talk or a bit of <laughs> just generic stuff. But yeah. there was this. There was this tweet that blew my mind, and I, it, sh- it really shouldn't have. But again, overthinking as per it is, because there was a tweet by at J Rawson James, whoever that is, who tweeted that there was a three day period when both Picasso and Pharrell Williams were alive at the same time. Because They're I don't both... know why I think of Picasso as hundreds of years ago. <laughs> yeah. I think I feel like they should have died on the same day because like, Pharrell Williams is like the modern day Picasso. But... Yeah, he's the reincarnation. He yeah. is, exactly. But that is funny, isn't it? Yeah, it's also, yeah, yeah. Sorry, it made I me think this... of time and what, like, how such of a weird construct it is. Yeah. I'm reading Empire Land by Sathanam Sangera for the second time, but I know I had to say the second time, like, that's important. One more, it's the second time. <laughs> is, is it a hard book? Uh, <laughs> the thing is that I read it once and I just have, there's a lot, right? A lot of stuff happens in like, the British Empire and so... I don't really take all of it in. And I thought I, what I thought I'd try and do is read some other books on it, but they were just so bloody boring that I was like, actually, mm. no, I'm just going to read the same book again. But the reason why I mention it is because it made me think about how Empire wasn't 
actually that long ago. And neither and the other funny thing, funny, slavery ended in like 1880. But the way we, I think, in our kind of modern consciousness, that seems like such a long time away. But yeah. actually, it's actually two lifetimes. Like it's about 160, 140 years, which is like two. Seven, yeah. two boomers of two yeah, boomers lifetime that's it yeah when we use that as currency yeah exactly. yeah exactly yeah they're like the two boomers before there was slavery and people are like oh people need to move on forget about it. it's like mate those two I mean, not that long ago yeah, yeah and yeah. that's it and i think you just i think when i saw something like that and it's not important to me at all for a williams picasso or whatever but it, it what you're saying it did make me think of some things in my mind that i've put that are completely not relatable to me and what that could relate to so many other kind of significant mm. and serious things that are going on within the world and how it's oh that was ages ago but then I think oh Pharrell Williams is making music and he's not old and it's it was just that weird I just couldn't get over that but talking about books and you mentioned Empire Land I've got really bad insomnia so I was looking for an audio book mm. that would help me and I wasn't sure if Empire Land was going to be boring enough for me to fall asleep to but I ended up <laughs> trying to find one of the longest books on Audible that I could which ended up being the book about it's called Silk Road about the Silk Road but I got so invested in listening to that trying oh, to fall right. asleep to it that I was it was just so counterintuitive oh. I was like, now I know so much about the Eurasian trade routes that like existed in the <laughs> 1400s or whatever because Amazing. I just could I, when it was meant to be like a switch off for me I was like oh interesting wow okay Damn it. Yeah, I wish you could just like, pick and choose, really. Like, stupid brain. Exactly. Oh, no, yeah. like you this. don't need this information. Yeah. Right. So, wait a second. So, how old do you think Pharrell Williams is? Guess. Um, he... 40s? Like, 42? He's 50. So, Picasso was alive, like, 50 years ago, which I don't know why Amazing. that's weird to me. I, I thought he was of... around in, like, the 1600s, which is really bad. No, fair enough. I think the only reason I knew that he wasn't was because I remember going to his museum in Paris, I think, and seeing photos of him seeming recent. Um, yeah, so they, like they had cameras kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But the thing that gets me is how young Pharrell, Pharrell Williams, he looks so young. Like, I swear he hasn't Yeah, he's got, he's got that he's baby just, face, hasn't he? It's yeah. just so crazy. I feel like Usher's the same. Usher, yeah. you, like when that meme came out, oh, that gift, sorry, of yeah. Usher like last year, and I just thought, oh my gosh, he looked it's the same in the 90s. He's beautiful, yeah. The skincare. Cool. Yeah, so we've come up to time. Thank you for all the topics and for the chat. Uh, it's been fun. Likewise. Do you want to end with any advice? Hmm. That's a very good question. What have we spoken about? Oh, yeah, just, yeah. I feel like we spoke about a lot about kind of rules of being a doctor, but I think the biggest thing is just have boundaries. Mm. Do what you need to do and then go home, which is, this. it's nothing special, but. I think we no, I there think was quite serious. a few tweets tonight about there was I feel like this week was like a lot of advice threads but yeah don't be feeling bad if literally work is just your job because that's for me it, that's what yeah. it is for me yeah I think definitely. you had some good advice in there I mean on the topic of being a good surgeon but also being a good doctor is finding different ways to get the information from from a patient and that means taking it to them and maybe asking a question in a different way yeah and um often it's the kind of we focus on the procedure and what it is that we have to do but there's like a whole experience that person's having from when they're admitted to hospitals to when they discharge and our kind of that kind of procedure or whatever is a small part of it 
And maybe we yeah, that's it. It's appreciating that. that, isn't it? But yeah, my very last and obviously most important thing to say is don't eat a flapjack on a first date. That's yeah. probably actually the that's most true. useful. Did you eat the whole flapjack? Advice. Did you eat the whole? Oh flapjack? gosh, I never touched it. It never left the bag. It went straight oh, into fine. the bin. When I understood what was in said flapjack, yeah. and there's probably people who are thinking, "What the hell is she on about?" Maybe I'll explain a bit more in the newsletter. But yeah. yes, the yeah. Just, just don't spell just, it unless then. it's like sealed, yeah, and from a shop. Maybe yeah. just hang tight, but interesting. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that's that's good advice. That's good advice. I'm like impressed that you had the presence of mind to think to ask those questions before just eating. what? Yeah, what is the special yeah. ingredient that you mentioned? Yeah. yeah, cool. All right, bye guys. Speak to you next week. Yeah, thanks. I was gonna say thanks for coming, but yeah, thanks. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> yeah.